Welcome to America Uncovered. Same show, new name, Ron. New name. Feels so strange to hear you say that. Well, <laughs> we talked about it last week, and I think, you know, it's important to explain why we have decided to drop the MAGA and replace it with a word that is actually in MAGA. I only just re realized that in MAGA is the word America, mm. and I always wondered what those hats stood for. And so now we are America Uncovered because, well, there's two reasons really why, you know, to, to drop the MAGA. One is because there is genuinely a reduction in the kind of the MAGA movement. It, it is diminishing. And this has been your quest for the last three years, right? This is what you, you do. This is, this, is, this is your dream, Ron. That's right. Everything I've done over the last three years has really been designed to drive up the negative ratings of MAGA, you know, to, to when Americans, average Americans hear that word, they recoil. And uh, so, yeah, I can explain that, but uh, that's been my mission. And so it is happening. Well, I think for us, you know, we, we have a show that goes beyond the, the, the MAGA movement. And I think America Uncovered really does kind of encapsulate what we do as well. In fact, in a greater way, because there are so many pockets of propaganda and misinformation that are now embedded into the very fabric of American culture. And so this gives us the opportunity to to expand outside of, you know, Donald Trump's rallies and actually, you know, go go deeper across the country to right. how people are falling foul of this of this MAGA propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we also didn't want people to think that this was a pro MAGA show. <laughs> and I think sometimes some casual people that, that was might number not two. know it. Yeah. Oh, that's number two. Yeah. yeah. They might not know us or what we're about and they might see it and go, oh, I'm not watching that, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, I'm Anthony Davis and, uh, you know, journalist and, and uh, British guy living in the US with my kind of unique European perspective on the insanity of this beautiful country. Such a juxtaposition, isn't it? Because it's like I chose to move to the US because I thought it was better than the UK. You know, the UK was just going through Brexit and stuff. And I arrived here and, and then Donald Trump two weeks later became the president <laughs> to suddenly deal with all of that in my mind. And, you know, at the same time, we, we, I don't know, I feel like you and I have a common interest. He's Ron Filipkowski, by the way, former federal prosecutor, uh, lawyer, uh, the editor of the MidasTouch.com uh, website, and you are a far-right investigator. That's what you've been doing, exposing it through your tweets, and you're hugely popular online. And so to be able to have these conversations each week together is is very helpful to, to I think to both of us from our unique perspectives but also to anybody and everybody who's either watching on YouTube or downloading the audio podcast which drops later tonight um, okay so let's kind of get on and talk about oh you uh, let's talk about this this poll actually because you did tweet about it the the MAGA movement which you know takes its name from Trump's first campaign slogan slogan um, Turns out was the least popular individual or group tested in this survey. 24% of Americans have positive views of the movement, while 45% voice negative views of MAGA. Just tell me about that. I mean, when I saw this, this made me so happy, you know, because <laughs> this has been really my work. So, and I have to explain this. It, it could, it takes a little time, but I think it's important to explain. Yeah. 
you know, when in 20, I was focused like everybody else on defeating Trump. And, and my sole focus was on that. But then in the immediate aftermath of the election and seeing that he wasn't going to concede and he was going to contest and all of these crazy people came out of the woodwork, that's when I really dove in over the next few months and into that, fall, you know, through January 6th, the aftermath. And by the end of the spring, I really had a revelation. And the revelation was that the media, mainstream media, Democratic politicians, the administration, et cetera, the establishment really did fundamentally were misreading the situation. They were misreading what was happening in the Republican Party, what was happening in the Trump MAGA movement, because they looked at it and they viewed it as a top down situation, yeah. that it's a cult. Donald Trump controls the cult. He dictates everything. And that may have been the case at one point years ago, but that is, I saw that that is definitely not the case anymore. And so if you're, if your idea is we're going to combat this and, and your plan is you're going to combat it by going after Donald Trump, that is not going to solve the problem. Cause the problem is what, it, what I saw is that there is this huge ecosystem. And I identified about 2000 people that really control this movement. So it's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump, the movement largely controls him. Not in, I mean, they push him more than he pushes yeah. them. Well, he's a, he's a populist, right? So he relies right. on this. He responds to them. Yeah. So who sets the agenda? Are these influencers, these media people, these podcasters, some of whom have millions of followers? And it, and it seemed to me like many in the mainstream were completely unaware of this ecosystem was out there. In fact, when they talked about, you know, deplatforming or not giving them oxygen or not giving them a platform, it, it would infuriate me and make me laugh because I said, you're so unaware that these people have their own platforms. Joe Rogan with you know, 5 million people watch, listening to them every day or Tim Pool, they have huge followings. And these are the people who are setting the agenda. So the only way to really destroy this movement is to is to show the average American exactly who these people are, exactly what they think, not Donald Trump, but the people behind the movement and to flush, flush them out. And at first, for a first year, I did this in 21. I got a lot of pushback from the left who felt like I was giving them publicity or attention and we should ignore them. And I said, no, trust me, when we show the average American how terrible and awful these people are and what they really think by showing them in their own words, it will take a while, but America will recoil and they will detest this, this group and these people. And that really is what is happening. And, and I'm not saying it's all because of me, but I think I was one of the first to really identify this and push this notion out because now I think you see mainstream media doing it as well. They're, they're now covering this movement differently than they did in 21. And the Democratic politicians are, are the younger ones, not the older ones, are, are understanding how to diagnose and deal with this problem. And even Joe Biden brought the word MAGA into his speeches and started talking about the kind of mega MAGA and these you know, the extremism aspect of it and domestic terrorism yeah. side of it. And I want to talk about that because there are people in the White House that follow me. There are social media people. And I pushed for that. And, and, and what I said is, you know, come out and single them out. Don't talk about Republicans. Talk about MAGA. 
Yeah. Talk about the right wing. And so when Biden first gave his first speech about this, which I think he did at the end of 21 or early 22, it, it rolled out poorly, I thought. It, yeah, the it was pretty jarring the way, the way he did it. Yeah, the backdrop, it just, it clearly represented <laughs> to me. The dark red, he, lo he looked like Darth yes. Vader, didn't he? Yeah. And he was yelling and yeah. it represented to me a team in the White House that really just still didn't quite get it. And, and also he did not specifically say MAGA Republicans. He said Trump supporters. And that really made me mad because I thought, you know, because the Republicans reacted to that immediately saying, you're calling 74 million of us right wing Nazis. So I said, I said, I came out on Twitter the next day very forcefully. And I said, this is so dumb what you guys just did. You're you have to specifically say MAGA Republican. And then immediately they started doing that. I'm not saying again, it's because of me, but hopefully it filters out. And, and, and I think that the messaging since that time has been so much more effective. I think we all have to be careful when we talk that we don't increase the divisiveness and that kind of political division by lumping everybody into the same yes. group. And, you know, the difference between Democrats and Republicans that I think is very clear, that very few people talk about, is that, you know, Democrats are not hating on Republicans. They want Republicans to have proper representation. They want Republicans to have their vote. They want Republicans to play by the rules in an equal society. What Republicans, and especially MAGA and extremist Republicans, they're hating on liberals, you know, leftists and all this kind of negative language. They don't want everyone to have the vote and they are always putting out negative propaganda and lying about what so-called the left are doing, taking away your gas stoves, forcing you to drive certain cars, stuff that's just untrue. And I, I do think it's important to draw that distinction between the rules of the game for one group and the rules of the game for the other. And I've often said, you know, I would love for Biden to do a weekly press conference debunking MAGA propaganda, mm. where he calls it out line by line. So this week, they said this, they said that, they said that. None of these are true. And here's why. I don't think they'll quite get to that, but they no. could do it on social media. Yeah, I think it's it's really some of the the younger you know, like the people like Swalwell and and people Jay. Uh, there are other people who do do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's Biden's cup of tea. No, I think he feels very uncomfortable doing this stuff. Um, uh, but you know, I think that it has to be done. I don't think uh, that might be something for the VP to do. You know, um, she hasn't shown much interest in in taking on Trump or MAGA. Uh, she's interested mostly in women's issues, which she's quite quite good well, at. Maybe that's all she's been allowed to handle, right? That could be. You no, know, because let's be clear, yeah. she is a very capable president, let alone vice president, right? She has yeah. all of the skills and all of the capability and the life experience as a prosecutor and as a powerful black woman, you know, an, uh, an intelligent and capable person. And she's been marginalized by the administration, in my view, She's totally capable of doing these things. I but. think she could be a, a very effective doing that in that yeah. role. Yeah. Because I mean, the voters that we're talking about are that were that are really repulsed by MAGA are primarily suburban, independent, moderate women yeah. voters, and she speaks well to to that 
group. So I, I think she'd be very effective in that role. I don't know if she wants it or would like it, but I think she'd be good at it. <laughs> you, if you've ever been in show business playing a supporting role, you get told on the quiet, never upstage the star. <laughs> right and i think that it's it's a case of that you know you have let's not forget joe biden played second fiddle to barack obama for eight years so now he's got his presidency he's in the lead role his name's above the title and he's the star of the show and it is hard you know and there is always politics within politics and certainly in the white house um okay let's um get into some of the news that you've been tweeting about this week and that midas touch has been covering this week Let's talk about the Proud Boys, first of all, because another record um, uh, case with 22 years for Enrique Tarrio, the primary leader of the Proud Boys, along with Joe Biggs. They were sentenced in federal court by Judge Timothy Kelly. Um, he was previously convicted at trial on all counts, including seditious conspiracy, which is a very serious, not to mention kind of antiquated charge. I mean, seditious conspiracy came from what? The Civil War. Yeah, so MAGA, the right, is very upset about the Terry, much more upset about the Terrio sentencing than the big sentencing. Yeah. Because Terrio wasn't there on January 6th. Well, you know, one thing that wasn't really brought out in the sentencing hearing uh, or in the media was the reason why he wasn't there was because he was out on bond <laughs> on, <laughs> on from, from when he burned the BLM flag three weeks before. And one of his conditions of bond was not to return to to D.C. and get involved in any of this stuff again. And he so actually he, he actually he took that advice. I mean, that's what surprised me. You know, <laughs> yeah. normally you'd be like, screw that. I'm going anyway. He actually heeded the advice. Well, yeah, he, he didn't want to mess around. So so it wasn't a situation where he didn't go because he didn't want to go. It was because right. he was court ordered not to go. So he was close by, though, and and we heard that in the clip. If you heard him when he met with um, Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keeper leader, he said, I'm going to stay close by outside the city to make sure my guys are OK. So, you know, he planned it. He plotted it. He also had when he was arrested on the warrant, he had um, bomb making instructions on him. He had a plan to occupy buildings. It was all laid out. Uh, so, yeah, this this was one of the masterminds of this. He's not a stupid guy, as we've also seen. He's somebody who was well traveled in political circles. He was. He went to a lot of Republican political events. He ran for Congress himself. Um, he was in the White House right before January 6th, which I've always been bothered by. Yeah. You know, the press kind of asked a few questions. What was he doing in the White House on December 20th? You know, he says, I was there to see the, the Christmas decorations. The Trump White House says, oh, we have no idea what he was doing in there. Well, I mean, it seems kind of odd for the leader of the Proud Boys right before January 6th to be hanging out in the White House. And, and you know, he didn't say anything about it. It was just that he posted a picture of himself on the steps on social media. And that's how the press found out. So, so yeah, I mean, this was a bad, this was a bad dude. Plus, a afterwards, he showed no remorse whatsoever. He bragged about it. And this was a problem for all of these guys, which is they want to keep their street cred, you know, with their boys and with the MAGA people. So they don't want to throw each other under the bus. They don't want to whine and cry. They don't want to say that denounce Trump, uh, the leaders I'm talking about, the smaller ones have. Um, but uh, and so that's that runs into a problem because in their sentencing hearings, the judges are always like, 
well, you're not sounding remorseful to me. You're not sounding sorry for what you did because they know that whatever they say in those hearings is going to be put on Twitter and put on the internet and they don't want to be seen as sellouts. So they're getting harsher sentences because of that. Isn't it interesting how so many of these defendants gave evidence, like they, they took photographs of themselves, right? So like the vanity associated with social media, Enrique Tarrio going to the White House and being like doing a selfie with the Christmas tree or on the steps or whatever. It's like, it, it blows my mind that there is no kind of thinking, oh, I'm, I'm you know, potentially I could be incriminated because I'm here. The, the 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 craving for the vanity to be photographed outside the White House kind of overrules their critical thinking, where they're like, "Well, hang on a second, I'm actually creating evidence here, so that if anything happens tomorrow or the next day, I could be, you know, this evidence could be used against me." Social There's, media plays a huge part yeah. in the evidence gathering for a lot of these charges and a lot of these um, criminals being put away, of which there are now what eleven hundred. Yeah. I mean, the two things about that is what you just said is one, which is, yes, their social media followings are very important to them. Yeah. Building those followings. It's how they make their money, all of that. So that's part of it. The other part is what you hear consistently at these sentencings for all these guys, which is they they all said almost every one of them said we really thought that nothing was bad was going to happen to us and we could do whatever we want because the president of the United States called us there. So we figured, hey, we're doing what the president wants. How can we get in trouble for that, right? It, it's, the, let's just talk about the sentence for a second. I think the government asked for 33 years, yeah. right? Yeah. Then he ended up getting 22 years. Right. Um, sentencing guidelines say, you know, anything between 27 and 33. Why did he get 22? And interestingly, Judge Kelly was appointed by Donald Trump in 2017. So it's a Trump judge. Did that have anything to do with it? Or is 22 kind of maxing out considering he wasn't even there that day? Almost almost every... And uh, this is a question I've gotten before uh, many times, which is, I'll say this, almost every single defendant, J6 defendant, has gotten less than what the government asked for. And almost all of... Like 90%. And... Um, People have asked me why, and what I'll say is this, is that, you know, the guidelines and what the government's asking for is really, really high. And, and, the, and the government, and, and the, see, these guidelines are getting inflated by terrorism enhancements. And what most of the judges said was, yes, technically the wording of the terrorism enhancement applies, but this was not a case where somebody flew a plane into a building or, you know, blew up 20 people. And, and almost every other terrorism case that there were, you know, that was the case. So they're distinguishing, the judges are distinguishing. They're saying, well, yes, terrorism enhancement applies, which pumps up the guidelines. But, you know, this isn't the worst as far as terrorism goes. The reason why the government has been asking for such tough sentences is because they're not just simply focused on each individual's conduct. They're focused on the bigger picture, which is, yeah, maybe they just walked around in the Capitol, but, you know, what they were there for is to try and prevent a peaceful transition of power. And so that's what the government has been focusing on, sentencing these people, not just for what they actually did that day, but for what the overall plan was and what they were trying to accomplish. And I think that the judges are hesitant to take that into account. They're, 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 they're sentencing people based on what they did 
and not necessarily what the overall plan was. What's interesting also is how the right wing are taking these huge sentences and spinning them and, and throwing it back and saying, look, here's proof that the deep state is imprisoning people who are just exercising their, their right to question an election. Or some of them just shook a barrier and yet they've been thrown inside for life. You know, it is interesting. I mean, you must have heard this and you've certainly tweeted about it, the, this kind of notion that a lot of right-wing commentators and even lawmakers have gone on TV and have made this argument that, that these long sentences are proof that there is a fascist regime currently in the White House. Yeah, it's again, it's part of the whole concept of you're imprisoning your political enemies, your political opponents. And the most common argument you hear is them complaining it to the BLM, you know, 2020. You yeah. hear this constantly, them yeah. making this argument that, well, look at all these people, you know, did all this rioting and vandalism and stuff and they weren't prosecuted. Well, how come they're not getting 22 years? Well, you know, a random act of throwing a rock through a window or something, you know, what do people typically get in the criminal justice system for that probation? Yeah. But trying to overthrow the government is a whole different cup but of it, tea. it requires not just to remove your intrinsic bias, but it requires a level of critical thinking and understanding of the bigger picture. And that is what yeah. it seems that a lot of them fail to do. Um, well, and they're also lying, you know, on social media. They gloss over. When they yeah. talk about the Terrio case or the Stuart Rhodes case, they don't bring up, like, the bomb making instructions he had on his thumb drive you know right. they they omit key facts leaving out chunks of the narrative yeah. and then switching the narrative around yeah and and interesting you know i was thinking about this because trump does this you know he's talking about it being persecuted and how you know that it's election interference them trying to stop him from running by having these cases against him which of course is n not true but it, it's a compelling argument when he keeps saying it over and over until people become brainwashed into thinking that that is what's happening. But, you know, Putin, as we know, imprisoned Alexei Navalny, uh, his political opponent, and, you know, recently bumped off a, a general who tried to start a coup against him. And I was reading about these kind of Russian moon mission recently. Did you hear this story from like last week? You know, there's been a bit of a space race at the moment between the Indians and the Russians. Right. And India made it to the, the Russians moon. They put their lunar lander yeah. up there, and it's, it's yeah. fantastic. And there's beautiful, like, catcom pictures of all these Indian people, like, cheering, and because it, it's a massive. You know, for India, this is a massive, the fact sure. they're able to join in with the, with, the, with the space race. But for Russia, who was like, they, you know, obviously with Yuri Gagarin, they were like the first people to put a man in space. So they have form, you know. They failed. And the two scientists, one who created the rocket and one of the other ones, have both mysteriously died in the last week. I mean, if Probably this is not... Right. This is the Kremlin flexing their muscles. And Donald Trump is trying to compare Joe Biden or Merrick Garland or the, the, the whole judicial system of the United States to a to a dictator in Russia who bumps off anybody who either turns against him or lets him down. I mean, it's disgraceful to make these comparisons. It's fine if you're just a kind of TV commentator or if you and I said it, but the former president saying it, it is so offensive and damaging to society as a whole. Yeah, if we were if we were Russia or if we were authoritarian or banana republic or whatever. Yeah. I mean, 
Trump and his whole crew would have been locked up at the end of January 2021. <laughs> you wouldn't have had, you know, Merrick Garland hand wringing for two years. Yeah. You know, all the January 6th subpoenas, due process, fighting, taking the fifth, people refusing to testify. I mean, think of all it took to get us to this point. All the and and they're none of them are still in jail. I mean, they're all out on bond, running around, trashing the witnesses, trashing the prosecutors, yeah. trashing the judges. Yeah, this is not that's not what happens in banana republics. <laughs> um, let's talk about Trump's New York deposition, because he gave seven hours of sworn testimony in April as part of Letitia James's lawsuit, which accused him and his company of defrauding banks and insurers and other annual financial statements that inflated the value of assets and boosted his net worth by more than two billion dollars uh, some years. Well, it's now been made public. And Trump boasts about building a multi-billion dollar brand and saving millions of lives when he was the president and claiming that Letitia James and the case is crazy and accusing her staff of trying to trip him up like a TV lawyer, Perry Mason style. I mean, this is fascinating reading, isn't it, Ron? Yeah, so it was 500 pages, seven-hour deposition. So when I first opened it, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to read this thing. You know, I'm like, I'm just going to check out the first five pages. And then, but it was just for me, I was just like sucked in because it was immensely interesting to me. Some of the nuggets that came out in there and um, you have to cut through all the object. I mean, Alina Haba was in there. They objected like 300 times. So cutting through all the objections and the lawyers arguing with each other was the hard part. But, but in between there, you're finding all these little nuggets when Trump would answer these questions. And there were so many, I mean, aside from inflating, you know, all of his stuff, but you know, this is the key part to me, which is the narrative of MAGA, the mer narrative of the far right with Trump is that Trump is, was this super bill. This is, this is the story that they, the myth, the mythology of Trump that they have in their heads, which is that Trump was a successful billionaire businessman, gave it all up to serve America, to help America, and lost all kinds of money uh, while he was, because he couldn't do deals, he couldn't make deals, and he, and he, he feeds this, this narrative too. Um, and, and so he sacrificed, he, lo he lost so much of his fortune to help America and he's willing to do it again for us. That's the narrative. Then you get him under oath and what does he say? He says, "Well, my my name is is my most valuable asset." Is what he said. His his name the Trump name is more valuable, he said, under oath than all of his golf courses and buildings combined. If you add up all of his properties all over the world, the value of his name is worth more than all of that combined. And anything he puts his name on becomes instantly worth three or, three or four times more than it was before that. So any building he puts his name on. So what he argued is, and he actually put this on an asset sheet before he became president, that his the value of his name as a brand is worth $2.9 billion. This is what he claimed. So they asked him what he thinks it's worth now. And this was the very interesting answer to me, which was he said, once I became president, the value of my brand went through the roof exponentially it, 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 because of the value of being the former president. 
So now my brand is worth 10 billion. So how does that square when you're saying I he's saying he made seven billion dollars by become just by becoming president? Yeah. How does that square with the, this mythology that he sacrificed to become president? You know, how how is the Hatch Act affected by this? What is the connection of the Hatch Act with this? Or is that a completely separate jurisdiction done, you know, for federal government only? No, because I mean, that really wasn't the issue here because he put all of his stuff in blind trust and none of while he was president. So none of it, it was all being managed by a lawyer in D.C., his assets. So for that window of time, there doesn't appear to be any evidence that he was directly involved in um, at least no proof of it in in managing companies that did business with the government. Of course, his businesses did do that, but. I don't. I don't think the evidence of him being directly involved is is not there. Because the the hotel in Washington, which he's now sold, yeah, it, it, you know, was used for business meetings. You had like Saudis taking rooms there, holding meetings there. Yeah, it it was basically a kind of annex to the White House. And if you wanted to kind of curry favor with with Trump, you would you would book a, a suite or book a series of rooms or have your corporate event at the at the Trump Hotel. It was so interesting in the deposition. They went through each piece of property like that, and they asked them specific questions about each one. So Mar-a-Lago, the golf courses in Scotland. So about that, the DC hotel. The funny part about that was he said he was gonna, he almost was gonna file a lawsuit against the city of DC during COVID because he was losing so much money because of their COVID regulations. That was pretty funny. Uh, the Scotland golf course was pretty funny. He he doubled the value of his golf course in Aberdeen. In two years, he doubled. The, he said it was worth twice as much. And they asked him, "How could that possibly be?" And he said that Sean Connery helped him negotiate, uh, like a uh, something with the Scottish government. Sean Connery, like James Bond, Sean yeah. Connery helped him. Uh, the late Sean Connery helped helped him negotiate something where he could build an extra course on that piece of property. So, so that's why he supposedly doubled in value. Now he hadn't actually built the course yet, but just because he got that permission from the government he doubled the value of the course the other thing he complained about was a wind turbine that the scottish government built near his course that he and he he, he told him that he he was about to build all these new houses who knows if this is true <laughs> i was about to build all these new houses on this property but if you don't remove that wind turbine i'm not going to do it and the scottish government said well we're not going to remove the wind turbine so he didn't develop the property so I mean, there was all these little interesting nuggets. Mar-a-Lago, you know, he claims is worth $1.5 billion, which seems like an absurd number for any house. The, the theme to me reading through this was how completely detached from reality Donald yeah. Trump is. Yeah. And for so much of the questioning, he isn't able to give a direct answer. He isn't able to... He just can't converse in a normal way. He, he lives in his own reality. And when he is required to kind of cross over into our reality, i.e. when he's on a witness stand, it, a lot of it just doesn't make any sense. Well, that's why there were so many objections is because when they would try and pin him down on something and he would start answering badly, uh, they would inter interrupt his lawyers, would interrupt and get in arguments with the other counsel. Yeah. So that was a frequent theme is whenever Trump would get in trouble. It's sort of like when he goes on Sean Hannity and he starts to say something crazy and Sean will interrupt him and try and steer him back into Normalville. Um, 
you know, that his lawyers were doing that in his deposition. Whenever he'd get in trouble, they'd interject and try and bail him out. <laughs> it's so crazy that this guy wants to be the president again. And, and you know, I did a, a really interesting interview on the weekend show just gone with Jared Yates Sexton. Uh, we were talking about the kind of threat of authoritarianism and how Trump's a second Trump presidency would be so much more dangerous than the first. We talked about the Heritage Foundation, Project 2024, or Project 2025, I think it's called, and the Federalist Society, all of these kind of secret groups that are driving and steering Donald Trump and and his policies, and what it's going to look like if it were to happen. And, you know, when when you read testimony like this, that is when you get glimpses of the level of insanity. Because, you know, so much of what we see of him is either scripted because it's a, a rally speech or, you know, he's, he's doing these pieces to camera that he records at Mar-a-Lago. And again, they're pretty locked down. You know, he comes off script a little bit. But the guy is so deranged, Ron, that, that it, it, is, it is just beggar's belief that he's even on the ballot. Let me just ask you before we move on about the 14th Amendment issue and where we're at with that. Because so many people are now saying, you know, come on, the guy is too crazy. He, there's no way that he could be on the ballot. And he has clearly been involved in an insurrection against the United States, which disqualifies him from running. Is this going to play? Okay. I'm going to say something that probably like 90% of our audience will probably disagree with me about. Um, I think that he should not be disqualified under the 14th Amendment until he's convicted. And I, I know that there are many people, be, and here's the reason why I say that. Because the there's no precedent on, for this, is there? It's the just an interpretation. On this, the polling on this is so bad yeah. that if Democrats try... Now, if a Republican does it, like in New Hampshire, the supposedly the Republican Secretary of State has talked about, that's different, okay? But if a Democrat in a state excludes trump from the ballot before he's convicted uh, that takes their argument of this you know third banana republic third world stuff and puts it on steroids and it's also something that i think we could lose moderate voters on by overplaying our hand and i know people on the left want this and i think it should happen but i think it should happen only after he's convicted Uh, and i know i'm probably like I said, I understand a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. It's just that I look at it like um, they they would go absolutely crazy, even crazier than they are now if that happened. I tend to agree with you as much as it pains me because we all watched the insurrection on television. We saw Trump say, come with me to the Capitol. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. We, we all witnessed that stuff. But there is... And, and, and Democrats are very supportive of the judiciary and of due process. And so to not see this through, my fear is he's going to slip through the fingers of justice anyway. And so then you'll, you know, then you'll regret not applying the 14th Amendment before he was convicted. Well, there was a window with the second impeachment to do that. And there was a lot of talk at that time about a plea deal with Trump that um, they would not go forward with impeachment if he agreed under the 14th Amendment, he was disqualified to run. And um, Democrats, the leaders of, in Congress, largely rejected that and did not want to make that deal. I don't know if Trump would have made that deal, but Democratic leadership immediately shot it down. But it was being tossed around. 
so you mentioned that he goes on these kind of right-wing channels and podcasts and things and this is a, a great opportunity to you know see what he's really about because he's it's funny isn't it how they don't take unless it's network they don't take it as seriously but of course it has a worldwide audience unlike network when they go on these kind of you know these these fringe channels uh tudor dixon is one of them he went on and she spoke to him about abortion just set this up for us before i show the clip so yeah this is really interesting i mean these are the times when i catch trump and by the way, another clip that mainstream media has stolen from me <laughs> that I found with no credit, but I'm used to it by now. But uh, she she ran for governor um, of Michigan against Gretchen Whitmer, got creamed. And one of the things that she became nationally famous for was one answer that she gave in response to the abortion question. She was presented with this question, you know, what if a, a 10-year-old is raped, blah, 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 you know, they're pregnant. Would you force that person to give birth? So instead of giving the standard, you know, Republican nonsense answer, she took it a step further. She said that what she believes is that having that child will be healing to the rape victim. Bonding with that young infant at age 12 uh, would help that rape victim recover from the rape emotionally, which was insane okay so that basically cost her any shot at becoming governor <laughs> you know she lost that race and trump had endorsed her um so she kind of disappears for a while and now she's back and a lot of people think she's going to run again in a couple years um and uh so she has trump on as one of her first guests which was a, I mean she literally has like a thousand people that watch this podcast she has no audience right now and she gets donald trump which is huge um but again, you know, that's where these are where he tends to say his craziest things is when he goes on these small things. And and his mood, we should listen to his voice on this. His mood is quite sullen. You know, he's not energized like he would be if he was performing. And so I think that's when you get like a little window on, on you know, who really lives inside Trump's head. And the news here, by the way, that I should have mentioned that is he she disclosed i don't think he wanted her to say this right. but she can't help herself and she disclosed in this interview she said you know after i made that comment that got me in trouble you came and talked to me and you told me that i was making a big mistake that republicans who talk about abortion don't message it right and what what trump is saying to other republican candidates is how to talk about abortion. They're saying you can still be pro-life with no exceptions and all of that. But every time you get asked about it, you can't you can't say what you really think. You have to deflect. And, and what he tells them to do is what we saw in the Republican debate, which is to claim that all Democrats are for abortion up until, unlimited abortion up until the moment of birth. And so this is what Republican want what donald trump is telling republicans to say every time they're asked about abortion is immediately change the subject to talking about democrats now i think it's very important for democrats to take that on and not ignore this they need to be very clear because some of them are not clear when they get asked like are you for abortion they'll, they'll like eric adams recently said the mayor of new york said look it's up to the woman they can do whatever they want i have no say in that yeah that's not a good answer. You need to debunk this 
garbage about full-term abortion. That's right. It just is, it's bonkers. And I, and as you say, I have not heard any Democrats kind of come out. And that's that would be on the list of things that I would like Joe Biden with his overhead projector to kind of expose on his on his anti-propaganda press conference okay let's let's see tudor dixon doing her doing her show well sir i thank you and i just want you to know that and i'll tell my viewers that you came to me and you said you got to talk differently about abortion and we could not pivot we could not pivot in time and it really you were absolutely right sir and i hope that you are able to navigate that that issue in 24 and that we can win those women back because they are already putting out attack ads and it is not a fair issue for them to attack on. Yep. That's what happened to you. And that's what happened to a lot of other people. And, uh, didn't happen to me because, you know, there's a way of talking about it. You know, they're the radicals. They're the radicals and you have to explain it. And I think. See, if you don't know what he's saying there, you don't get it. Yeah, you got to read between the lines. He's saying it didn't happen to me because I know how to talk about it. And what he's saying is how you talk about it is you put it back on the Democrats and say they're the radicals. Therefore, late term abortions, no restrictions. Um, and, and this is what he's saying. He's saying you don't have to change what you think and what's in your heart. You you just need to change how you talk about it. Let's talk about uh... Excuse me, let's talk about Ken Paxton and, and his impeachment, because this is also something that has kind of stirred up a lot of excitement. Just kind of set it up for us, and then I'll show this um, tweet from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ken Paxton is the worst attorney general in the country. I mean, he, he, he's somebody who will do anything. Um, it's just naked power. He, he, he's bragged, I posted this clip that went viral a couple of years ago, where he bragged that, uh, see, during during the 2020 election, when a lot of the a lot of the counties in Texas, particularly the counties run by Democrats, wanted to do mail in voting, wanted to do absentee voting because of covid. And he sued all 16 of the counties in Texas who wanted to do it like that, which happened to be some of the biggest counties like Houston and Austin and and places like that, Dallas and San Antonio. And he won all of those lawsuits. And what he has said repeatedly is Donald Trump would have lost Texas if I had not won those lawsuits. So that's just an example. Now, it has nothing to do with his impeachment, but but Ken Paxton, the reason why MAGA and the reason why Republicans love him so much is because he will do anything. In the 2020 election challenge, he filed, he was the one who, the point man who filed the first federal lawsuit challenging the electoral count prior to January 6th and all of that, and tried to enjoin attorney generals from around the country to join his lawsuit in Texas. So so Ken Paxton is always, he's the he's a muscle guy. He's one of the guys that if they ever want a state attorney general to go after and prosecute a Democratic politician just because, he's the guy who would do it. The corruption is that he had a political donor that was giving him a lot of money uh, which I would call bribes and he would call donations um, and was doing a lot of favors for him because that guy was being investigated by the Justice Department. That guy was being investigated by the Trump Justice Department for fraud and corruption. And he wanted Ken Paxson to intervene and do an investigation of this of the feds and go after them and harass them back and thinking that he was going to put the heat off of them. One of the things he did 
was he started financing Ken Paxton's extramarital affair mistress. You know, they remodeled her kitchen. That's this right. guy, a you know, kitchen for her. But I mean, without any sense of, without any moral compass whatsoever. I mean, and that's the thing. Yes. You know, this guy's balls must be gigantic. He, and, exactly. And 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 this is why I think a lot of the Republicans like him because he has no fear. It's so like, here's he, go on. Here, here's what came out in this trial today because yeah. I listened to it today. Okay. So what comes out in his trial today is. He hired a special prosecutor to prosecute, to open up an investigation of the federal agents investigating this guy. Every one of his deputies refused to sign. They, there's like eight deputy assistant attorney generals have to sign a document to hire an outside counsel. It's basically like appointing a special counsel in Texas. They all refused to sign every one of them, not one. Uh, and he just went ahead and hired the guy on his own. Like just over all of their objections. And then he he ordered his first assistant to fire Ken Paxton ordered his first assistant to fire his own best friend who refused his Ken Paxton's best friend of 20 years refused to sign this memo. And he told his chief assistant to fire his best friend. That's how bad this guy is. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a big fan, as we know. Uh, and she she tweeted Ken Paxton fought for the border. He fought for election integrity. He fought against trans Tifa. If he is convicted this week in the Texas Senate impeachment trial, the left will win a great victory in Texas, and Texas Republicans will be the ones that hand it to them. Um, firstly, we should highlight that word trans Tifa. First time I've seen that. I mean, that is a that is really a kind of Frankenstein word that only Marjorie Taylor Greene could have come up with. That's all she's good for, really, is kind of branding and marketing for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, well, I don't... She's not the one who came up with that, but that's, that's, that kicks around. I mean, it's talking about, like, the fact that trans people are so militant and, yeah. you know, they're so they're, they're crazy and they have no tolerance for people who don't tolerate them and all of that stuff. That's what she's talking about there. But but that tweet is basically she's right. I mean, that tweet, it would be a huge victory for the not only for the left, but for America to get this piece of shit out of the Texas attorney general's office, which is very powerful position. But, you know, the other point that Democrats must emphasize and I try to emphasize every chance I get is these are not Democrats impeaching Ken Paxson. These are his own friends. The main witnesses against him were his closest friends and employees, his own employees that he hired are the main witnesses against him. His friends in the Texas legislature are the ones impeaching him. Yes, Democrats are voting with, with, with them, but the point is he's being prosecuted by Republicans. Republicans are the star witnesses against him. And so that's what she's saying. You know, it'll be a great victory for the left and, and the Republicans will hand it to him. Well, you know what? It's a great victory for truth, justice, the American way and just doing the right thing. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about a trial that is actually going on as we speak. This is Peter Navarro, of course, uh, Trump's trade advisor who is struggling for money. Uh, he's saying it's costing him a fortune. I'll, I'll play the clip and then we'll talk about poor Peter. Raise like 300 and something like 360,000 now. If you do that in like $5 contributions, that that's that's like that warms your heart. I'm telling you. And I, I want to thank everybody who sent me money as well as their prayers. Um, but th this case is going to cost me through trial probably about 
about 750,000. And then the appeals process all the way up the Court of Appeals and likely the Supreme Court uh, will be another million. Okay, now. I mean, never mind the fact that he was right there in the room where it happens or happened to kind of create this coup for overturning the election. I mean, the guy is so criminal. And he even went on TV, we've talked about this before, he's gone on the news and boasted about the plan to subvert the election. And he's surprised that he's in court? Well, this is Steve Bannon's idea, and Peter follows Steve Bannon like a little puppy dog and does whatever Steve tells him to do. Um, You know, Navarro right there was guest hosting for Steve Bannon. That's Steve Bannon's studio. Why is Steve Bannon not paying his legal fees? Bannon's loaded. Why wouldn't he give him $750,000? You're you're right. Bannon does have more money than Navarro. And by the way, Bannon's studio is in his basement in D.C., so Navarro's in in Bannon's house doing that podcast right there. So, um, yeah, I mean, here's the point. Here's the point, and the trial, by the way, ended today. They're doing closing arguments tomorrow. The defense put on no witnesses, no case. Navarro didn't testify, just like Bannon, because there is no defense. It's very simple. You got subpoenaed by the committee and you refused to show up. Everybody else showed up. Some of them took the fifth. Some of them didn't. The point is, is that Bannon decided that he he was going to get more credibility with his audience and his fans if he gave the FU and the middle finger to DOJ and the yeah. J sticks committee. And he bragged about it and it and they were all excited and they were all laughing about it and they thought it was the coolest thing in the world that Steve Bannon told the J6 committee F you. So the J6 committee said, okay, fine. And DOJ prosecuted him. And, you know, he got his appeal bond, so he's still out, but he's prosecuted because there's no defense. The only thing that the government, the reason why these trials last one day is because the only thing the government has to do is prove, did a lawful government agency issue the subpoena? Yes. Was it served? Yes. Did you show up? No. I rest, defend, right. state rests. Yeah. That's it. It's very simple. There's no defense. So what they're what they're going to argue in front of the appeals court, what Bannon is arguing and what Navarro is now going to argue, and Bannon was sentenced to six months in jail, but it stayed pending his appeal, is that the January 6th committee is unlawful, that it wasn't a lawful body and it had no constitutional right to issue subpoenas, which they're going to lose on. This idea of ignoring a subpoena because of your kind of machismo trying to kind of give the impression that you're above the law or or in as you say that the january 6th committee isn't the law how do you think that plays with maga republican voters this idea of just dismissing the government and you know because obviously they've tried to rewrite the story that the government is the deep state and therefore and they're out to prosecute everybody who had their you know, who was just doing their due diligence in saying the election was rigged or fraudulent. You know, this idea that you can convince people that you are above the deep state, but then when the law comes back and says, well, actually, no, you did. You, you defined this, this subpoena, and therefore there is a punishment to follow. Do you think any of this registers with, with voters? Well, you know, MAGA loves it. Um, I, I, the smart play would have been what, um, like Bernie Carrick or, um, Tom Fitton did, you know, (laughs) which is basically like they went in there and they, they basically said this going in, 
we're going to show up. We're going to honor the subpoena, but we're not, we're, we're just going to, every time they ask us a question, we're going to start, we're going to launch into a speech yeah. about the constitution and about the founding fathers. And, and that's pretty much what they did. They showed up and they just, they didn't take the fifth, but they just gave the wrong answers to every question. And, and they just, they just got kicked out and <laughs> nothing happened. If you're smart, that's what you do. You know, they, that way they don't get anything off of you and yet they can't prosecute you. But, you know, Bannon d- chose to m- make a spectacle and I think it benefit, it does benefit him with his audience. His audience loves him for doing that. And, and if he goes to jail, they'll probably love him even more. This is something that a lot of Democrats and certainly I sense, you know, maybe the Biden team don't seem to understand is that the people who are rooting for Trump and the people in Trump's orbit, they are enjoying the fact that they are they are criminals. They like the fact that they are butting heads with the legal system. And that, as with Trump, every indictment, his poll numbers go up. It's not something that the Democrats have really reckoned with, the idea that that being a baddie is a good thing in the eyes of supporters. Yeah, I think... I think both sides have um, not dealt with it in the right way. I think it, in terms of Democrats, I think, yes, they didn't, they didn't see that coming necessarily that among the base, he would get more popular and it would all, but cinch his nomination yeah. for the presidency. I think they maybe didn't see that coming, but I think Republicans also are in denial about the end result. When I, when I talk to Trump supporters, you know, and they they talk about his polls and how he's doing against Biden. I go every time I say to him, I go, you know, he's going to trial in March with a judge who is not likely to give him an appeal bond if he's convicted. Okay, if he's convicted, and then he'll be convicted at the end of March, early April, he is likely to go into custody. And 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 this is something that I think that Republicans haven't thought through or thought about they're in complete denial that that is ever going to happen and so they don't have a plan b like what do they do then they don't have a plan because they can't even wrap their head around that being possible but he'll become a martyr he'll be on the ballot but to who a martyr to the base so what that's 40 percent you know so so he'll lose and then he'll lose and he'll claim it was election fraud and we'll be back at the very beginning once again. Yeah. And and he'll just serve out his his prison term and then he'll run again if he wants to. Well, if he lives, if he lives through it. He's going to outlive all of us. Right? I mean, this guy, <laughs> He's I'm, like I, a need to eat, I need to eat more McDonald's. I'm telling you, there's something about that and the nutrition that keeps, keeps people going. Um, let's talk about um, Vivek Ramaswamy because uh, he has... This is a guy who has this... You know, American exceptionalism, like supreme confidence. He talks with such confidence about stuff that he really is totally out of his depth on. And to some of us, it, it it's just so obvious, right? But to others, it can be quite convincing. Just set this up for us, his, his kind of response to a question about Taiwan. Well, this illustrates my point that you don't defeat this movement by getting rid of Trump. And because there's going to be somebody else that's going to pick up the banner, even if Trump dies tomorrow of McDonald's, 
there'll be <laughs> someone else that will take the reins of this movement. So that's why it's so much more important to discredit the movement than the man. And, and you know, really there hasn't been anyone that people thought it was going to be DeSantis. No, he doesn't have what it takes. People thought it was going to be Tucker Carlson, which it still could be Tucker Carlson. And he's certainly angling to be Trump's heir apparent. But Vivek very much wants that job. And, you know, he does nothing but praise Donald Trump. And Donald Trump does nothing but praise him. And I will point out, people ask, well, why is their relationship so cozy? Well, one of Vivek's best friends is Jared Kushner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that this is all a setup. This whole campaign is very much like, um, I think he's what he everything he's doing is with Trump's knowledge and and acceptance and and permission, um, and so what you're seeing is he's he's a much more slick, better speaking Trump, you know, yeah. <laughs> with darker skin, and he's he's got this rap, and, but he's trying to peddle this rap, and he's saying a lot of stuff that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, the Taiwan situation with respect to China is very complicated, and and he got into a mess because he did it in a he did it just like Trump does with NATO. He makes everything transactional. He makes NATO about how much they're paying in instead of, hey, this has kept the world safe and secure right. for 80 years. So Vivek talks about the Taiwan problem in the context of microchips, which is, hey, we get the vast majority of our microchips from Taiwan. So we have to continue to protect China until we develop our own microchip industry. So what I'm going to do, this is what he says, what I'm going to do is we're going to build up our own microchip industry so we don't need Taiwan anymore. Then we don't have to protect them from China anymore. <laughs> so we'll protect them until we get our we get microchips. Yeah. He, he basically made Taiwan's entire existence right. to hang on the balance of just their ability to make chips. Exactly. Um, okay, and watch out in this clip for some pushback from the Fox News host. Because he, he did try and push him on it. Here it is. So let me ask you about two other foreign policy issues. One is Taiwan, and then the other one is Ukraine and, and Russia and sure. ending that conflict. You've said that you'd fully back Taiwan until the U.S. becomes independent with semiconductors. Yes. So what happens after that point? Do we just give Taiwan to China? So, John, that's how my position again has been caricatured. Let's get real here. But the U.S. But position right now you, is one of embracing. Back, well, I want to get I'm real. Sorry, Vivek. Let me just say, you've said that, that you would back Taiwan. I did not Taiwan say we would hand until, them over to Ta China. No, I know yeah. you didn't say that. That's, that was my question. What you have yep. said is we will fully back Taiwan until we become independent in semiconductor production. And my question is, what happens after that? After which point? After which point we resume the status quo, which is which strategic is? ambiguity, which is what I was beginning to explain to you, John. Right now, the status quo is the U.S. embraces the one China policy. Both Republicans and Democrats, every other Republican in this race, embraces the one China policy. Strategic ambiguity, refusing to call Taiwan a nation. Recall that President Trump was derided by both parties for picking up a phone call from the Taiwanese president. That's our current status quo with respect to China. I think that's insufficient. I think we have to be crystal clear that we will defend Taiwan. So I'm upgrading to strategic clarity, saying that absolutely we will defend Taiwan until we get semiconductor independence, because that's why Taiwan matters most to the U.S. They provide the chips that power our modern way of life. And after that, we resume the current so don't we status also support quo, a robust which is strategic ambiguity. So look, I think that I think we should support them more than we are now. That I mean, robust democracy, it, John, I'll remind you, 
Oh, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is the current U.S. establishment in both parties, including the Republican Party, does not even recognize Taiwan as a nation right now. One China is our policy. So, John, that's actually a caricature. It's laughable to say that when I'm saying Taiwan is a nation, that we actually will defend it until and unless we have semiconductor independence and then we resume the status quo. That's honest. That's clear. And that is actually a more strong Taiwan posture than either party has offered. And again, this takes an outsider to call out the bluff. The he, he reminds me of Mike Pence, how he can say a lot and say nothing at the same time. I mean, he's an idiot. The, the, first <laughs> well, of all, that, in common as well. that that is totally different than what he said two days before that. Right. Two days before that, he absolutely said that once we get the chips, that's it. We're done with Taiwan. We are not going to protect them anymore. That's what he said. So now he's claiming something totally different. But also, you know, him saying... I'm going to do more to defend Taiwan. Well, first of all, that that's basically provoking China. It's basically an act of war, what he's talking about. The current policy has worked. The policy that's been in place has worked for, what, 70 years, 75 years, Taiwan's had independence. So there's absolutely no reason to change our position and our policy towards Taiwan other than to... So what he's going to say is, I'm going to provoke China and take a more aggressive stance and say that Taiwan is an independent country, which China said they would never accept. And then what he's going to do is once we get chips, he's going to back off and say, OK, we're back where we were before. I mean, this sends all the wrong signals to an authoritarian regime. There's also this debate which is never really had properly about how the U.S. relies on China and especially for for manufacturing in, in a way that if we were not doing trade with China, the cost of everything would quadruple. You know, a washing machine, instead of it costing 400 bucks, would cost 1,200 bucks. And, and not to mention, I just watched a documentary about Timu, which is this new app where you can buy stuff really cheap direct from China. And they circumnavigate trade um, uh, tariffs because anything under $800 that comes into the U.S. is not subject to, to, a, to a tariff. And so you're buying stuff that costs 2 bucks and $1 and 6 bucks, And so all these packages are coming in, and it's, it's costing the country a fortune. People are doing it. People are addicted to Chinese product, let alone Taiwanese chips. You know, we, we, we have this kind of love-hate juxtaposition relationship with China. And I think people need to understand that, you know, these diplomatic relationships are nuanced. We can disagree about their human rights atrocities, but at the same time, we can buy their goods. And they need us as much as we need them. What illustrates that point is China's own domestic COVID lockdowns was probably the main cause of global inflation because products were not leaving Chinese ports yeah. uh, for a long time. So that drove prices up all over the world. And, you know, this idea that we're all connected, you know, and so that the, the Republicans are always kind of criticizing the globalists and everything. But it's like, you know, you, you're capitalists. We're all you're into this system, yeah. right? We're all globalists. The, yep. the, we're, we're too far gone. You know, we can yep. never go back and, like, undo the capitalist or globalist system that is in place. The whole world relies on it. Yep. Okay, let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. We've only got a few minutes left, so we're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani um, as our penultimate story. He really is on the back foot at the moment, and I, 
I, it's not that I'm starting to feel sorry for him, but, you know, he's an old guy and he's got himself into quite the situation. Tell us about what we're about to see here. Yeah, so Rudy's really coming unglued here. You yeah. know, he's really coming apart. I don't even remember. What, what, what is the clip that you have on Giuliani? I don't even remember. There was so uh, much this week. It's the, well, I'll show the clip and then we'll talk All right, about go ahead, it. go ahead. Because Kemp is part of it. I have no idea why Republicans re-elected him. It was one of the dumbest things they ever did. What do you think is behind it? It's a complete violation of the law. He could be one of the biggest lawbreakers. He could be one of the biggest lawbreakers in Georgia history. I, I don't know anything about that, Mr. Nair, but I do know that Kemp is supposed to be a Republican. And Kemp could easily replace Fonnie Willis. I mean, there are enough reasons to say, you know what, I don't like the way she's prosecuting this case. We're going to replace him. But he's saying, and this is, this is why he said we won't engage in political theater because he wants to leave Fonnie Willis in and he knows Fonnie Willis has it out for Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and 17 others. About right? Yeah, he also knows she's not going to take a good look at him, which would be very productive if she did. I remember. Yeah, so I I know about so the reason why I really love this is because you you were giggling during this clip. I mean, were... I just love I just love this because and people always sometimes accuse me of like Every time I say anything positive about Kemp, but I saw that I have any great love for Kemp. It's just that I love what he did to these people because, you know, he didn't go along with all this stuff, you know, the election fraud stuff back in 2020. And then, and, and you know, Trump blames him. And so Trump went out of his way to coax David Perdue, the former senator, out of retirement to run against Kemp. And this is they were going. This is how they were going to punish Kemp for 2020, and they're going to pay him back. Perdue was going to unseat him. And and Purdue lost by 52 points to Brian Kemp. And Brian Kemp went on to win re-election easily. So this is Brian Kemp basically going, I just won my re-election. I'm in my second lame duck term. I don't give a crap about you guys. And I'm not lifting a finger to bail you out of this shit that you got yourself into. And he is not about to remove the black district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia, to help out Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump. They burned their bridge with him. And, and that's why I love what I love here is Kemp is just basically saying in his own kind of monotone, understated way, like, F you, I'm not helping you guys. You know? Gi Giuliani is a um, co-conspirator. I mean, you know, it's the fall from grace is the story that I find most interesting about this because I ask, start asking myself, mm. was Giuliani always of this mindset was he always uh you know anti-democratic was he you know I, I understand that you know he he's thought of as america's mayor and he was a tough guy and all this stuff and putting mobsters away and everything but how long has he been corrupted is it was it his entire mayoralty and before and after because obviously he's only really come back into the limelight since donald trump did there's plenty of Democrats who are going to say Rudy was always a bad guy and his police policies and stop and frisk and, you know, his pretty ruthless policies with respect to the homeless and and all of that stuff, you know. Um, but that's just but right. I, but that's just right wing stuff. Right. But that's... but yes. But I, but I will say that's right. And I will. You're right. There, there's the distinction. Yeah. You have to draw the distinction between the policy and the corruption. Yeah. And yes, you're right. All, all of this stuff. It, I think it just started in 16 with Rudy where, you know, with Ukraine and getting so caught up in Trump's mania. Uh, I think that 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 really was the, the start of it all. And it kind of was the downward spiral from there. 
And of course, let's not forget the greatest moment in American political history was Four Seasons Total Landscaping Press Conference, which if you're ever a little depressed or feeling down, just go on YouTube, play, play back that clip, especially the bit where they tell Rudy that it's just been called, the election's just been called for Biden by one of the news networks with, you know, with the, the hair dye running down the face, the whole setup, the fire extinguisher, the, the pawn shop, all of it. It was just a thing of beauty. I, I, I have I've really lifted my mood so many times courtesy of that press conference. That That is a moment that I will never forget. You know, Where were you? I was on Twitter live when this happened. Yeah. I was one of the very, I think I was the second person to tweet about this on Twitter because he put out the the press release. And I remember one local reporter looked at it and said, this is not the Four Seasons Hotel. And he's like, I don't know where this is, but I know where the Four Seasons is and this ain't this ain't that. And and so I remember Googling and looking it up and seeing it was a landscaping company. And I remember tweeting like literally like as it was happening, thinking like, does Rudy know he's going to a lands the, the wrong place? And but even then I couldn't believe I thought someone would catch it and fit and fix it. But then, you know, they set up the podium in the park. Right. They got there and I think they figured, well, we can't back out now. We're, well, there was we're no all time. here. There was you no know, time. It was like no the, the clock was the clock was ticking. They and could there was have a twisted sex toy it. shop across the street. Right. They you could know, have spun beautiful. it and said, you know, we are in the industrial heartland, <laughs> and you know, we we're here because workers need our support. But none of that. They just carried it on as if they were at the Four Seasons. Rudy um, just acted like, yeah, this is where I where I meant to be. But isn't that maybe? <laughs> a kind of perfect description of, of Rudy's kind of story, you know, that, that it's all, in England we say fur coat and no knickers. You know, it's, it's all mouth and no trousers, or certainly no trousers in the case of uh, Rudy Giuliani. Um, you know, it also goes to show, like, he was flying by the seat of his pants. Yeah. He had no staff. He, he's, you know, he's throwing out all these crazy conspiracies. There was, it was not an organized effort, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay, finally, because we have to go, Ted Cruz, an educated man who has is resorting to kind of standing with a bottle of beer and making beer the... I'll play the clip. I can't even begin to describe what this guy's on about now. State has now done that for new construction. They're trying to go after and regulate ceiling fans. I got to tell you, it's hot in Texas. We don't want to get rid of our ceiling fans. And now these idiots have come out and said drink two beers a week that's their guideline well i gotta tell you if they want us to drink two beers a week frankly they can kiss my ass no okay um senator i uh i brought a beer to drink with you i'll drink this non-alcoholic beer with you because i'm not allowed to drink on camera but i'll have, I'll have a sip in well the meantime, look but, I, I gotta say so what, have you ever seen a brand do more damage to itself than Bud Light, which which single-handedly seemed to destroy themselves. So I'm glad you're not drinking a Bud Light. Personally, I'm fond of Shiner Bach, which is a good uh, te Texas brand. I've been to the Shiner Brewery in Shiner, Texas, and I recommend it. And I promise you, this is not alcohol-free beer down here. No, and by the way, the one I have uh, right after the show won't be alcohol-free either. And it may just be a... 
because we're men and we have testosterone and we're we're machismo masculine guys and god forbid we should ever drink a girl's drink so i mean you have to look at how this works like there's this crap that gets put out in the right-wing ecosystem from yeah. some podcast or influencer that they, the recommendation they're going to, the government's going to change the recommendations of two drinks a week. So, you know, again, most people just look at that. It's not, but what Ted, of course, Ted's always looking for stuff like this. Skittles, Mr. Potato Head, you name it. This is, this is Ted's thing. Tri- trivial so, stuff. That's not going to affect he, his but he, rating. It's going to get him on Newsmax. Yeah. That's all he cares about. So yeah. he, he tweets it out. And of course, Eric Bowling, the Newsmax primetime host, said, let's do a segment on beer. So what does Ted do? He's got to find a bar. Okay, I need some guy. I need some cowboy hats. I need some denim shirt guys. Listen, guys, I want all you guys to get behind me. And when I say kiss, kiss my ass, you all got to raise your beers and drink. I mean, think about the choreography that went into this. The choreography. I mean, it was like a scene out of Brokeback Mountain. I, I, I honestly, I honestly, it's like it's so it's so ridiculous, and and yet. <laughs> For some reason, it's it's like a part of American culture that is, I don't know, to use it for electioneering purposes or promotion purposes and for people to not see through it. I mean, there's a clip going around of, um, of Mike Pence at, at some event on the weekend where he's like having a bit of a bromance with this guy. Like, it's so romantic. I don't know if you've seen it. I'll send it to you privately. Yeah, maybe not. But no. it, is, it is like... It's so crazy to me that it's not like, to mention, by the way, Ted's fake Southern accent that he yeah, put on there, ra- ramping it, ramping it up when the cameras are on. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Okay, listen, we have to finish, but I'm so pleased to get to do this with you every week. Uh, the new show is called America Uncovered, but it's weirdly the same as the old name, you know, or the old show. Certainly, so um, thrilling. Once again, don't forget to download the podcast, the audio version, tonight, uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, don't forget to hit up the Midas Touch uh, website, which Ron is the editor of. whole lot of stuff to look forward to there. So if you're tired of scrolling on social media, then that's a centralized place to go get your info from. Any last words, Ron, before we say goodnight? No, no. I like the new name change. We're looking tomorrow for uh, the guilty verdict on Peter Navarro. Yes. Let's see if the judge gives him an appeal bond like Bannon got. Not not going to say 100% he's going to get that. He okay. just might go to jail tomorrow. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll discuss that next week at the same okay. time here on America Uncovered. Have a great week. 